Hello and welcome to Inspire Me Today Radio. I'm your host, Gail Lynn Goodwin. You know, the world seems to be divided by those who see the glass as half full and those who see it as half empty. Optimists and pessimists. Here at InspireMeToday.com, we thrive on optimism, and we tend to feature luminaries who also see the glass as half full. Today's luminary not only sees the glass as half full, he's on a personal mission to make optimism contagious. Now, how do you do that, you might ask? Well, he believes that we can do that by sharing our life's adventures, the ups and the downs. He's written an uplifting book series with real-life stories of people who demonstrate that every cloud does indeed have a silver lining. His name is David Mezapel, and he's here today to share this contagious optimism with us. David, I am so very honored to welcome you to InspireMeTodayRadio.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really, uh, I really appreciate being here. Well, David, you know, speaking to you, this might sound a bit cliche, but please share your story with us. <laughs> sure. Well, um, i've I've always been um, I've always been a big fan of uh, people's stories. I've always felt that people's stories, whether they were good or bad, were inspirational. And uh, growing up, the youngest, I spent a lot of time with older relatives and older family friends. And I was always amazed by their stories. I never let that go. And when I look back, I realized that all their stories had three things in common. They all had an element of, um, of an obstacle or adversity. Right. They all had perseverance. And they all ended with wisdom that was gained and ultimately shared. So when my alma mater, uh, Fairfield University in Connecticut, they had been asking me for years to consider writing a book on optimism and positive thinking and business, well, by 2010, I said, you know what? I'm ready to do it. But let's not just make it about me. Let's make it about lots of people. And let's not just make it about business, but let's make it about many of life's themes, including business. Sure. And... And three, um, let's make it a class project for students all over the world so that they can have real-life working experience on a published book series and help us with our global reach to actually capture the stories and essays from all walks of life. And And that's how it came to be. That's outstanding. And how many versions do you have at this point? How many editions? Sure. Well, our first volume came out this June, and, uh, and I'm happy to report we got bestseller and Best Books of 2013. Woohoo! So really excited about that, and especially because of the profits we generate go to different charities. Um, so we had been working on that first book for three years, and now we're working on volumes two and three, which we're hoping volume two will be out in the spring of 2014, and then probably about nine months later we'll see volume three. Excellent. Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, so... It- David, is this the background that you came from? I mean, what made you, why did they call you and say, hey, alumni, write this book for us? Sure. <laughs> well, what happened was um, when I was at Fairfield University as an undergrad from 1986 to 1990, I had worked at IBM as an intern. And when I graduated, IBM wasn't hiring. They were going through a tough time back then. Um, John Akers, the CEO, was on his way out. The stock was down to 30 um, Dell and Hewlett Packard and Gateway were starting to eat away at market share. So 
basically they weren't hiring, even four-year interns. So I had decided to start a company because I saw the writing on the wall that computer technology was still very expensive and was just starting to come down on price. And I saw that, um, that IBM, IBM Credit Corporation actually had all these leases in place around the world on servers, computers, and peripherals and all that. And I thought I would start a business partner for IBM, independent, and we would acquire all that end-of-lease equipment and resell it to make it affordable for, for organizations that couldn't afford new equipment. Uh, back then, servers were like a million dollars. PCs were sure. like $10,000, $20,000. So, so basically what happened was I created this organization. IBM was excited to have us do this and help them unload inventory. Uh, but I couldn't afford employees. And I had to get out there to market ourselves because back then there was no social media to speak of. Course. of. So I decided to hire interns. I figured, hey, I was an intern. Why not hire interns? So using the Barron's Book of Colleges, I started recruiting students all over the country, all over the U.S. and Canada, and bringing them on board, telling them what we're about, teaching them you know, marketing and sales the best I could, uh, and get them fired up for the experience they will get. The same thing I did. And, uh, and sure enough, within six months, we had 300 students working for us, pounding pavement in their towns, and uh, we started growing and growing and became this really large IBM distributor, and ultimately we started getting into other product lines and, and all that. And the whole way I ran my company was on positive reinforcement, teaching them wisdom, teaching them learning from their mistakes, and cultivating them in a real positive environment where they know when they graduate, if they did a good job for us, they'll be on board full-time. And we grew and grew and grew, and not only did we become one of the largest distributors in the IT sector, uh, we became known as this company that changed the face of internship programs. How cool is that? And that was it. And that's Fairfield always wanted me to write a book on that, that whole topic. That experience. Well, that makes sense. I mean, absolutely. That's a book I'd want to read as well. Well, you know, it's funny. One of my questions here was, we all have moments in life that define our life. You know, share a moment where you literally stepped off the ledge, took a risk with the belief that you'd succeed. And I think you just shared that. Absolutely. How, Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really um, kudos to you. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. And, and um, you know, what a gift it was not only to you, but to all those students, those kids, those interns who are now off doing other great things. And the nice thing is they'll take the lessons they learned from the experience with you with them where they go. It's like throwing that, you know, per proverbial rock into the pond and watching the ripples. Exactly right. And it's funny you mention that because one of the things that's really near and dear to me is that that learning experience uh, has stuck with me since those years. I mean, I ran that company for 17 years. I, I sold it in 2007. But since then... Every project I've done, whether it's philanthropic or for-profit or whatever it may be, everything I've done, I have taught the people I work with to do things that way. And so I constantly, to this day, even with contagious optimism, always recruiting students, always feel extremely rewarded 
to educate them and watch them grow and see them succeed, whether they stay on with us sure. or they go on to other things with that experience. So it's, it's a really, really great subject for me, and I love talking about it's it. It's a win-win. Well, you know, yeah. David, some people would listen to this interview and say, ah, oh, this guy's had it easy. He's got this, you know, incredible, successful company and college degree, and he's now a best-selling author and yada, yada, yada. He doesn't understand what it's like to live my life. And I have all these, you know, problems and challenges and adversity. Talk to us a little bit about that, because I'm guessing, David, that you too have had to overcome challenges in your life. You've dealt with adversity. You just have a different way of dealing with it. So my question to you is, how do you overcome challenge and adversity when it, when it rears its head in your life now? Absolutely. And that's a, that's a great, great point. Uh, well, first of all, as much as, as, as rosy as it all sounded, in between all those great things, <laughs> I had major obstacles. In, in 2000, when the tech bubble burst, we almost, our company almost died. Uh, we had to let people go. We had to restructure. I mean, we almost lost everything, personally and professionally. Um, I built everything from out of my pocket, and I came from, from nothing, zero. And... Um, and I had, you know, I've, I've had health issues. I had an accident where I almost died, and for 33 years I endured many surgeries to get through it. So I've been through everything from financial to personal to health and everything in between. Um, and in terms of the second part of, of that question, there's three points that I believe people should follow. We call it the GSM. When it comes to remaining optimistic or becoming optimistic when you face a lot of hurdles and obstacles in your life. The first part of that, the G, is gratitude. And basically, you have to be grateful for even the smallest blessings in your life. Even if you have just one blessing and you have at least one, you have to be grateful. Because if you're not grateful for even the smallest things, you'll never be happy no matter what's staring you in the face. And that includes the education you get from the failures, from the mistakes, from the downs, because every one of them is an experience yes. that you, you can't change it, but you can learn from it and grow from it. So that's the G. Um, the S is stories. We all have stories. And sometimes we need to hear other people's stories of perseverance to make us realize, wow, they've been through that before. I'm not alone. And I know I could do it. They did it. Hearing stories of others' perseverance is a tremendous uplifting force. And that's why Chicken Soup for the Soul did well. That's sure. why we're doing well. Very, very important. It makes you realize that you too can emulate the outcomes and that your problems are temporary and they're surmountable. Yes. And the third part, the M, is for magnet. And what that means is that, um, let me put it this way, Mary Lou Retton, the Olympic gymnast. Sure. She made a statement, it's one of my favorites, and it, it says, optimism is a happiness magnet. And the way I look at that and why I like it so much is I find it to be very true. If I'm around people that are positive and optimistic, it gets me psyched. It really fires me up and it makes me feel like, <laughs> wow. If, and, it, and it attracts other people. Yes, yes, and, yes. And it, really, it really is a happiness magnet. And conversely, pessimism is absolutely a negativity magnet. When you're around people that are wallowing in self-pity and they're just negative and negative and negative, it just brings you down and it attracts more of the same. So while you can't eliminate the negative people from your life, you could certainly minimize being around them. You can minimize the chatter and just ignore it. 
Sure. And when, you, and when you apply all that, you're bringing together reality and positive thinking, not just positive things, both. You need both. And for people, whether it's a job, a relationship, health, or achieving, a, you know, surmounting a sport or a hobby, all of it, I think you need all three of those things. I think, I think you've opinion. absolutely hit the nail on the head. You know, it's funny you talked about optimism as a happiness magnet and, you know, the energy of optimism. I, those that listen to my interviews on a regular basis know that I'm tapping it now. You might hear it. I sit on this great big, I don't know, three-foot round, bright red bouncy ball. That's my <laughs> office chair. No, I do. It's, it's, really? it's, it's, I have for, I don't know, 10 years. That is my office chair. I've got this great big plush leather, you know, executive-looking feng shui chair. I never use it. And the reason being, I feel better on my bouncy ball. But where I was going with this and tying back to what you were talking about is being, you know, contagious, the the energy, the optimism. When I get going in one of these interviews or when I'm on the phone with somebody doing business here for Inspire Me Today, and I'm in that zone and in that flow that yes, 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 with what you were saying just now, I'm finding myself, I'm bouncing. I'm here go. bouncing up and down going, yes, yes, yes. So if you hear me bouncing in the background, that's <laughs> I'm explaining to you, you know what's going on here because this is a new interview for you and I, David. Yep. Yeah, but uh, it is. It's contagious. And when you surround yourself with people that are grateful and that share their story of their adversity, which is why I ask you, you know, I don't just want the rose-colored glasses version. I want to know that, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, we almost lost this. Yeah, we had this problem and that problem. But regardless of all of that, what I love most about you is you're not focusing on, yeah, well, I almost lost my house and I almost lost my business. And right. that you're not focusing on the what ifs or the almost. You're focusing on the here's my takeaway from this. Here's the positive, optimistic woohoo that and that that I so respect. So thank you not only for putting together this series, but for the coming here and sharing your story with us, because I'm guessing there's somebody out there listening that can identify with exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. And you know, it's funny you mentioned the rose-colored glasses, because we're, we just launched this um, project called Contagious Optimism Live, which will be live events around the country where people could come, sort of like TED, particularly right. in the optimism positive uh, realm. And we've been thinking about different logos. And one logo we semi-agreed on this morning was a set of rose-colored glasses where everything around the glasses is gray. And then you look through these glasses in the logo, and it's these colorful scene. And it really is what we're about. And, you know, like, for example, even today, like I could, an average day for me, I might say, oh, man, I am under so much stress. I have to have this deadline met, this deadline met, I have to go here, I have five events in one day tomorrow. It's, you know, it's always, there's always stuff that could, could bring me down, but if I just focused on those, I would never get anywhere. I would never, I would never get through whatever my agendas or my appointments right? are because I'm busy wallowing in, in how much stress I have. So I just, oh, poor me. Yeah, I just close the door to that stuff and just chip away and I get yeah. through what I get through. Exactly. And you celebrate and be grateful for all the little chunks that you, you know, accumulate during the day. Well, exactly. that's awesome. Talk to us a little bit about fear. Have you ever gotten to the point that you felt, oh boy, this is bigger than I am? You know, whether it's this project or some of the challenges that you've faced with your last company. And if so, how do you get through the fear that comes up when you're doing great things? 
Sure. Well, a perfect example actually is this this project with this book. Um, what, what had happened was uh, when I finally decided to do it and I started researching and talking to people, um, you could imagine the naysayers saying, oh, no, you, you can't write a book today. Everybody's writing a book. Forget it. Uh, and you're going to have to be self-published because there is no other choice. And, and because you're a first-time author that nobody knows, um, it, it's going to be really tough. And, and don't waste your time. But I was really psyched about it. Um, so essentially what I did was I started reading uh, stories about other, uh, whether it's industrialists and you know, revolutionaries and, and going back 100 years, and I realized they all had obstacles in their way. Some of them had no money. Some of them, you know, like look at Helen Keller. She couldn't, you know, she's blind, couldn't speak or hear. I mean, you know, all these things. Um, going on, and all these people that had obstacles, no different, some much worse than what I was looking at, but I was scared. Uh, but I felt, why not? What's the worst that happens? I wasted a couple years um, of my time. But I was scared going in because I thought, I'm going to waste time, money, energy, and it, it really was um, it was difficult. Another, another more uh, interesting example, I think, was when I had this terrible bike accident, horrible, horrible bike accident. It destroyed my face, destroyed my mouth, and uh, like I mentioned, endured many, many years of surgeries to get all this corrected. Well, when I was finally able to get back up on a bicycle, and it sounds cliche, but it's exactly what it was, physically getting on a bicycle, mm-hmm. right. I was absolutely petrified. And my dad said to me, and I was, I was pretty young, he said, you know, you have nothing to lose from being positive versus the stress you're giving yourself from being negative. So just get on it. I'm standing right here. Don't worry. You're not going to fall off again at 40 miles an hour. You're just, give it a, just give it a shot, and we'll, we'll get you there. Smart and man. That, yeah. And exactly. again, and again, you learned a valuable lesson from him sharing part of his story with you. Right. Exactly. So I'm, I'm not surprised you're doing what you're doing. Well, David, your books and you inspire so many people. Who or what inspires you? Well, I was thinking about that a few months ago. I was thinking to myself that there's so many, so many people who I've learned from over the years and so many stories that have impressed me, both relatives, family, friends, complete strangers, uh, and then, of course, people I've never met that are long gone, that uh, whose stories I've always followed, from, from the Carnegies to the Henry Ford to all the all the business types. Uh, but I realize that what impresses me the most are when I'm at an event and I and I give these talks, and people come to these events. A lot of times, they're going through hard times, and they want to they want to hear stories or learn about how to persevere through their obstacles. Sure. Well, at the end of the event, a lot of times people come over to me and thank me for what what we've talked about. And I always say to them, I'm like, well, you're thanking me, and I greatly appreciate it, but what I've done is create a compilation. I've, I wrote some introductions, I brought it together, but really the people who you should thank and the people that have inspired us are the 110 co-authors and their stories that they put out to the public to hear. And a lot of those stories, you know, people really poured, poured out the facts in their heart on the paper. So, so to answer your question, what inspires me are all these simple, real people from around the globe whose stories I cannot believe how awesome they are. 
and it makes me realize, God, things are not so bad, you know? That's awesome. Really awesome. Yeah, and it's those people that, again, have shared those stories are a handful of rocks that are being tossed in that pond once again. Correct. And I love things like that, that those ripples, they will never know all the people that they touch in all the different places throughout the years. And that's just, those kind of things I just think are so amazingly cool. You know, exactly. And since we're on that topic, I don't know if we have time, but there's an excerpt of one of our stories I'd love to share with you because oh, please. it's, right, it's please. right in this topic. I never get to share it. Um, so we have, in our book, we have a story called My Mother's Gift. And I actually, I'll be at Agape Spiritual Center on Saturday. Right. And I'm going to tell this, the full version of the story. So basically, um, Joel Heller um, is a, a gentleman, he's about my age. He came home from college his sophomore year to visit the family in, in New Jersey. And when he came home, he got some, some bad news that his mother had mouth and throat cancer and would be losing part of her tongue and her ability to speak normal in order to fight the disease. Uh, so it's quite upsetting. It's a very close family. Uh, so Miss Heller, his mother, made him a promise. She said, by your graduation, Joel, I will be fine. I'll be able to say congratulations in a loud, clear voice, and I am determined to beat the disease. And with that determination, she realized that the best way to regain her speech would be to relearn the pronunciation of words just like a child in their early stages. And she did. She went out and purchased a variety of children's books and tapes. She practiced until she met her goal. And I'm happy to report that by his graduation, she did say congratulations in a loud, clear voice. She Excellent. did beat the yeah. She did beat the disease. And above it all, she resumed her career after many years of being a psychiatric social worker, which is a career that not only helps others but is dependent on the ability to speak. And I love that story because if I complain about a bad day in business or a market crash or, <laughs> or a girlfriend or wife issue yep. or whatever it may be, um, it's nothing compared to that. And it puts it, it in perspective, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we're all about. And that's, that's one of my favorite stories. All our stories are great, but that one just knocks me, just takes me for crazy. Great. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, in everything that you've got going, David, I mean, it sounds like your life is a little crazy. How do you, <laughs> how do you stay on track? What kind of steps or routines, practices do you do each and every day that keep you grounded? Well, really funny. For years, people that I've worked with and been around have always tried to get me to, to meditate because meditating in some form of relaxation is very important. Uh, so I do ex every morning I exercise, no matter where I am, I have to exercise. It, it gets me through the day. If I don't, by 12 o'clock, I'm wiped out. So exercise is important. But meditating, I've tried it, and my brain spins so much that I can't shut it off. So finally, um, actually before the first time I gave a TED Talk, I wasn't nervous at all, but my brain was spinning because I wanted it to be perfect, because my TED Talk was right before the book was being published. And I wanted to make sure the talk went well because I knew it was going to reflect on me, and it was huge PR for the book. Sure. So what I did was it, it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks 
but I've always been a car buff. I've always loved cars. And maybe I could somehow focus that into my relaxation. So what I did was, and I don't really know why, maybe it was uh, divine, but what I did was I closed my eyes and I pictured a set of car keys in the ignition of a, not a modern car, because modern cars are push buttons, but picture a regular car with a set of keys in the ignition and the engine is running. And I pictured those keys being shut off. But I said to myself, when those keys are shut off, I have to shut off my mind because it's an engine. And it worked. And ever since then, that was May, I do that probably twice a day and before every event. And uh, it really makes everything go smoothly. It, like for some reason, ever since I was able to do that, I never have like stuff all jumbled in my head anymore. Everything just that's seems great. to it flows. work well. Yeah, that, that's it. That's, that's how I do it. Well, that's excellent. You found something that works for you, and I appreciate you sharing it. And, you know, David, I can't wait to read your book and your second edition coming out. But in the meantime, I just want to really say thank you for the insights that you've shared with our listeners today. I know this is great stuff that people will benefit from. So you today are being one of those little pebbles. All right. Well, that means and, a lot. Yeah. Your today's brilliance that you wrote for us was the reason that I wanted to talk to you. So without without my reading that, so to speak... If you were to summarize in a paragraph, a few sentences, whatever you need, your greatest wisdom, what have you learned that you'd want to pass on to others right here, right now? Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, it's very simple. We all have stories. And what you may consider boring or uneventful is actually inspirational and motivational to others around the globe. So... People should always consider sharing their stories, and they should always remember that we are all naturally mentors just by the sheer impression of our footsteps. Hmm. I'm just closing my eyes and soaking that in. I'm not bouncing right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. We are, because I have learned. It, it, it's funny, David, in that so many people think, well, I have nothing to teach. I have nothing to share. And then they share from their heart, and you're blown away. Right. And so good for you for capturing those for the future years. That's that's just great stuff. Well, thank you. Well, with everything you've already done and the lifetime you're now living with this new, you know, hit book series, what's next? If you had just one more thing that you could accomplish or experience in your lifetime, what would it be? Well, I I would like to see forgetting the book, just but the concept right. of contagious contagious optimism not as the book, not as a noun, but as a verb. Contagious optimism, I believe, is something that we all have the capacity of or for. And I would love to see this become a course on the college level. So if we could get, like, say, the, the if it's a federal board of education or whatever they, whatever they call it, um, if we could get it approved as a bona fide three-credit course, I'd love to see contagious optimism as, as an elective on the college level for any major, because uh, everybody has to have some kind of electives. And I, I would love to see contagious optimism as a course. What a great it's, idea. Because it's, it's a legacy that we could leave, that our co-authors and all of us could leave, and it'll, it'll keep going way beyond us when we're long gone. And... And the reason I feel this way is because every year at my alma mater, uh, there is a, a course, and, and the students in this course, 
their job is to uh, copy edit the initial submissions of the stories that come in. So we have all these students, their whole semester is spent working on the book. And, and that's just at one school. But if we could get this approved across the country, we could make this a bona fide three-credit elective. And that's, that's my dream. That's absolutely my dream. Well, anything we can do to help support that, it's totally out of my purview, so to speak. But you certainly have our support, and anything we can do to help reach out, you just let us know. Well, that's I appreciate like, that's, that. I mean, imagine if we were taught optimism in first grade. Forget college. What about first grade, second yeah, true. grade? True. Imagine the difference. I mean, I still remember my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Figdor, who was one of the first people that taught me optimism, who, who gave me that confidence that you can do anything in life you want to do. And again, imagine if every child had that. What a gift to have that as your story that you take with you through your life rather than the I can't, I'm to this, I'm to that, that most kids now are raised with. Exactly right. And, and think about think about the young kids hearing stories. Because um, one of the things I love is that we capture stories from residents and senior living communities. So imagine young children hearing these amazing stories of, going back to the war, the depression, uh, industrialization, uh, and, and how these people lived their lives and how they persevered, you know, the greatest generation. Well, the young children need to hear more stories from the greatest generation. And you're absolutely right. It should be, it should be way further back than, than college because it only, especially today, because you're right, students are, it's more of a me generation. And, and we need to, we can eliminate that or at least curtail it by letting people understand that it's, it's way beyond just you. Exactly. We're all in this together. Right. Excellent. Well, thank you again, David, for sharing your optimism, your, yep. your story with us. I mean, really, it's, uh, you're making a big difference in the world, and I personally appreciate it. For our listeners, you can find out more about David Mezapel by going to inspiremetoday.com, click on the tab that says Browse Luminaries, put in David you can even just put in David. Mezapel is M-E-Z-Z-A-P-E-L-L-E. -E and there you will find all the links to his bio, to his inspiration, and to where to buy his book. And who knows what else this uh, amazing man will have coming out soon. David, thank you again for being with us. We really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you. I, I love what you're doing as well, and I really appreciate being here. I really do. Oh, you're most welcome. And to our listeners, thank you for spending part of your day with us. Come on back again next week. We'll bring you inspiration from another incredible luminary. And until then, remember, it's only when you have the courage to step off the ledge that you'll realize you've had wings all along. We're here for you. We love you. We'll see you again tomorrow. And thanks again for stopping by.